and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the spot I want to stop for just a second. Um, to be very honest, I spent a lot of time alone with the Lord today, just in my own Bible reading, feeling very heavy, feeling very burdened. Um, and this verse came to mind in the middle of that, feeling uh, heavy laden. And Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so this verse came to mind, and as I was reading through this, as I was just meditating, I realized that there are three verbs that present themselves in verses 28 and 29. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your soul. The three verbs are come, take, which means to lift, and learn. The word learn means to understand. And so Jesus says, you come unto me, you need some rest, you need something, you're feeling heavy, you're feeling burdened, you come to me, you take, you lift my yoke upon you, that means to couple together, and you learn of me, you understand me and I will give you rest for your soul these verbs indicate personal choice all of these are things that you have to do come to the Lord you take up the yoke you learn of me and it indicates personal choice that personal choice though will lead to something Jesus says if you do this then I will do this you want rest then you do this and here's how you find it. I will give it to you. So Jesus is telling me that I can find rest if I come to him. I take his yoke and I learn of him. But what do I need to learn of him? Is the question then that came to my mind. I come to you. He says, take my yoke and you learn of me. But what do I need to learn of him? Well, I want you to notice one little word in verse 29, take my yoke upon me and learn of me for. The word for means because. So Jesus says, you learn of me because I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest for your soul. He says, because... I am meek and lowly. You learn of me because I am meek and lowly of heart, and you're going to find rest for your soul. And I took from that, I need to learn something of the Lord. I need to understand something about the Lord. And what I need to learn is his meekness in order to find rest. He says, you learn that from me because I am this. And I want to talk to you tonight about the rest of meekness. Meekness is not something that comes naturally to us. As I was meditating on this immediately, I also thought of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And turn over there to Galatians 5. Just hold your place in Matthew. Galatians 
Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And so Jesus says, You come, you learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you're going to find rest for your soul. Meekness, though, according to Galatians 5.22, is a fruit of the Spirit. If you study out the context of Galatians 5, you find that what Paul is saying here regarding the fruit of the Spirit is set in contrast to something else. There's a drastic difference between the fruit of the Spirit, which is lovely, which is good. It's the the fruit of the new nature that is created by the Holy Spirit of God within. And what is there's a big difference between that and what is produced by the flesh. That's the contrast that Paul is setting up. Notice verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, they're made known, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, all of those are physical things. Then there's idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, that's quarreling, emulations, wrath, strife, that's factions and contentions, seditions, that is division, that's disunion, heresies, envyings, that's jealousy and spite, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. There's the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is set in contrast to that. What the Spirit of God produces versus what the flesh produces. And notice that the sins of the flesh are called works. It's the works of the flesh. The result of living in the new nature is called fruit. Fruit is different than works. Fruit is something which grows. These things grow as the new nature is developed in our life. On top of that, the fruit of the Spirit is referred to as singular and not plural. It might be likened to a cluster of sweet fruit that is growing together. And we can consider them all separately, of course. But the idea that's being presented here leans more to the idea of a cluster of fruit that is working together, forming the character of one who is controlled by the Spirit. Included in that cluster, if you will, of spiritual fruit are the following. Love. Love, the word that's translated as love, is the Greek word agape. You've heard this before. It refers to the best kind of love, the ultimate kind of love. God's love, it refers to the selfless, highest form of spiritual love. It is a love or a giving of oneself for another. It's the denial of self for the best good and the benefit of that which is loved. That is in distinct contrast to all the works of the flesh which are selfish in nature. Then you have joy. The word that is translated as joy is the word chara. In the Greek, it refers to that deep, quiet joy within. 
I've used this illustration before because it really illustrates what this is. It's like the still cool water of a deep well rather than the babbling waters of a shallow brook. This is what joy is. It's something that is way down inside. Not just the superficial or the surface. Then there's peace. The word that is translated as peace refers to a tranquility of spirit. Something that overrules anxiety or anger or want. It's the predecessor to happiness. But when there's anxiety or when there's anger or some other kind of emotion in life, there's a deep settled peace that can still overrule that in the midst of the trouble. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Then there's long-suffering. That refers to patience. It refers to forbearance. It refers to a slowness to seek after revenge. Then there's gentleness. That word has a broad meaning to it. On one hand, it can refer to integrity. It can refer to moral goodness. On the other hand, it refers to gentleness of spirit and kindness. That's probably what is in view here. A gentleness of spirit and kindness. But then there's also goodness. Goodness, the word that is translated as goodness, is virtually the epitome of decency and uprightness. You're a decent person. You can be a decent person and an upright person because of the Spirit of God producing something in your life. It's in contrast to the flesh. It simply refers to one who is good in the highest sense of thought. There are few characterizations that are higher than this to be called, quote, good in this sense. Now, there's no good but God. But this is referring to character. Then there's faith. It's the common word that we know for faith. But in this context, it has more of the sense of faithfulness. The thought is more of the outworking of faith in your life or putting feet to the faith rather than the principle of faith itself. There's meekness and then there's temperance. Temperance refers to self-control. It refers to balance not given to extremes. These are all the things that the Spirit of God produces Nine of them, fruit of the Spirit, like the works of the flesh, these should be typical of Christian character, like the works of the flesh are to the unsaved. These things ought to be typical of Christian character. And Paul's purpose in this is to show a contrast. There's the ugly uh, 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 result of the old nature there's the ugly production of what the old nature uh, puts into the life. And then there's the pleasant, priceless virtue of what the Spirit of God produces through the new nature in a Christian. And then he finishes, against such there is no law. In other words, no ruler, no government, or even Mosaic law ever outlawed any one of these virtues. But you go back and look at the works of the flesh. There's a big difference. 
Meekness is the one that I want to focus on because this is something the Lord taught me again today. Maybe one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible. The word meekness here literally refers to being cool, calm, and collected of spirit. It talks about discipline of the emotions. It speaks about humility in the life. And having meekness will result in being mild of manner and calm of disposition. Now that's going to mean something to you in just a little bit when I get to it. But the core thought is in having one's emotions and attitudes in control, especially in provocation. The natural result of meekness will be a mildness of manner about us that enables us to see clearly and to walk in the right way. When those emotions and those feelings and those, that spirit is not under control, it usually brings about the wrath of man. And the Bible says the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And of course, Jesus is always the best example of each character trait. And Jesus says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you'll find rest for your soul. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Here was an example of Jesus Christ whose spirit was under control, even under provocation. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself to the Lord, the one who judges righteously. So I want to talk just for a minute about meekness, but we're going to get to how does that apply? What's, what are some things that it applies to in how we live? Just briefly, meekness defined. What is it? Well, first of all, meekness is not weakness. It's a hard attitude. It's a hard attitude that is displayed through our actions, just as Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, so it is with meekness being demonstrated in the life of a Christian. It's inside, it's a heart attitude that is displayed through our actions. Meekness simply means this, softness of temper, mildness, gentleness, forbearance under injury or provocation. Softness of temper, Mildness, gentleness, forbearance under injury or provocation. That's what it means. Meekness is also something that is commanded 
of us in the word of God. Zephaniah 2 and verse 3 says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Colossians 3.12, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Put on, as the elect of God, meekness. 1 Timothy 6, 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. It's commanded in the scriptures. Not something that comes naturally to us. It's the opposite of our flesh. It's something that is produced by the Spirit of God in the new nature. Where I really want to give attention, though, is areas of our life in which we are to show or practice this character trait of meekness. Having the emotions under control, the softness of temper, even under provocation, it applies in several areas of our life, and we'll see only two of them tonight, because they really apply to where we live. Everything from restoring a fallen brother to hearing and receiving instruction from God's word. It is to be done in meekness. And it's easy to do the opposite. The opposite is pride. The opposite is quick-temperedness. The opposite is even unkindness towards others. But a Christian who is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God is going to display meekness in these areas of their life because it's something that is within, that's in the heart that comes out. These are things that I needed. And there are two main areas that I want to direct the attention towards tonight, and that is meekness displayed towards others and meekness displayed towards the Word of God. First of all, consider meekness towards others. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, because the Bible instructs us to display meekness towards fellow believers in general. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 1, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says to the church, uh, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. What is a worthy walk? What does it mean to have a worthy walk? It's to behave in a manner that accurately reflects Jesus Christ. That is a worthy walk. To behave in a manner that accurately reflects Jesus Christ. He says in verse 2, here's how. This is what it looks like. With all lowliness and meekness. 
This is behaving in a manner that is a worthy walk of Jesus Christ, that accurately reflects him. And what we take away from this is that meekness is a heart attitude that is directly tied to and affects the unity of the body. In verse 3, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I know that you know this, but I'll just tell you again in case you forgot. There is no one that is better than another one. Sometimes we can think we are. Sometimes we can act like we are. You're beneath me. I don't have time to listen to you. You bore me with your stories. Sometimes we can think we are based on what we do or who we are in the church, etc. Or, I've never done what they have done. Kind of an attitude. We're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, to behave in a manner that accurately reflects Jesus Christ. And part of that is meekness. Towards fellow believers in general. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 12. Colossians 3.12 says. Put on therefore as the elect of God. Holy and beloved. Bowels of mercies. Kindness. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long suffering. Forbearing one another. And forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We find here that meekness is not only connected to the unity of the body, but meekness is also connected to forgiveness. He says to put on bowels of mercy and kindness and humbleness of mind and meekness, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If there's some kind of a problem, if there's some kind of quarrel, if there's something going on, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It's connected to forgiveness. That humbleness of heart, that softness of temper, that mildness, that having the spirit and the emotions under control is connected to forgiveness. Do you know that we can never be obedient to the Lord And have this attitude of Christ developed in us if somehow we think that we're better than we really are. Because we will sit in judgment over other people. We also find that not only should we display meekness towards fellow believers in general, but we also, according to the word of God, need to display meekness toward the erring or sinning believer. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 25. 
2 Timothy 2.25 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Paul directed here in 2 Timothy that the servant of the Lord ought to teach in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. The word again that is translated as meekness here, it refers to the spiritual quality of having disciplined emotions. To be meek is to have temper and other negative emotions under control. And so Paul is giving instruction to the servant of the Lord, and he says the servant of the Lord needs to be in control of his own emotions as he works with those that oppose themselves. And the thought is of being disciplined of spirit, being disciplined of mind, being disciplined of emotions, even when dealing with people who are acting like fools. One of the ironies of the ministry is that as a pastor seeks to help people, some oppose that godly counsel. But in opposing that godly counsel, they are not opposing the pastor, they are opposing themselves. And in due season, they will reap the bitter harvest of their folly. The Apostle Paul continues, he says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. In other words, hopefully, God will give such people repentance that they might acknowledge the truth that they're resisting. If you study out the greater context here, it's, of, of, it's really of those who stubbornly hold to theological error to their own destruction. That's what the context is. However, application can really be made and apply to people who stubbornly adhere to practices that will destroy them, their family, their children, their own stability in their life, and it comes from rebellion against the truth of God. Rebellion against God and his word is always self-destructive. But meekness is needed in the instruction. And he's talking to the servant of the Lord to give that good instruction, but do it in meekness. Hopefully God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And here's why. Here is why meekness is needed. Because there is no opportunity for restoration without meekness. And the reason is, is because we will just write them off. This is the same attitude that sits in judgment because I've never done things that they have done. There's no opportunity for restoration without meekness. And there's no one who's better than another one. And even in the instruction of truth, Paul says you need to do it with meekness if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of truth. I needed that. Paul concludes that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. 
who are taken captive by him at his will. Again, the context is that certain confused and rebellious Christians might repent of the direction that they are heading so that they may recover themselves. And what that means is that they would be awakened to the trap of the devil. Those who stubbornly adhere to erroneous theological positions or practices, they leave themselves in a position where they can be taken captive by the devil at his will. That's a sobering thought. For all of us, for all of us, the good instruction and the thing to take away is that it, it behooves all of us to know God's word, to study God's word, rightly dividing God's word so that it gives us direction and protection in our own life. The alternative is being ensnared by the devil at his will. Certainly errant theology as well as a rebellious spirit gives entrance to the trap of the devil in a person's life. It's always self-destructive. So even in trying to help one, Paul says it needs to be done in meekness. It needs to be done with the spirit and the emotions under control, like Christ. Jesus says, learn of me. For I am meek and lowly. How much has that been demonstrated by Christ in my life already and in yours? Another aspect of displaying meekness towards others, not only Christians in general, not only erring sinners, but towards unsaved loved ones. We don't have the time to look at it, but you can look at 1 Peter chapter 3. It talks about the saved wife winning the unsaved husband. And Peter says one quality of a godly lady that will win an unsaved husband is a meek and a quiet spirit. The word of God teaches us to demonstrate meekness towards unbelievers in the world. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. We're really not better than the unsaved world, are we? That's what we were. Meekness is also a testimony to all in general, because James 3.13 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or good lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. The word of God over and over shows us that we need to learn of Christ, who is meek. That needs to be displayed and demonstrated towards people, towards others. But there's another side of this, because the Word of God also instructs us to display meekness toward the Word of God itself. Look at James chapter 1 with me. I've never thought of it this way before, but it's true. And I learned something 
from this. James 1 in verse 20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man or if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If you go back to verse 21, the instruction is to lay aside or lay apart all filthiness. That's dirtiness, superfluity of naughtiness. That's the superabundance of depravity that comes from the flesh. Lay aside that and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. And you know what I, I discovered about this issue of meekness when it comes to the word of God? Meekness is teachability. Meaning, we are to receive the instruction of the word with that humbleness of heart, that meekness of spirit, to be teachable by the word of God. Psalm 25 verse 9 says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek he will teach his way. Meekness is a readiness to be shown, which includes a readiness to lay down my notions of things, my objections to things, my what ifs or my but what abouts, my certainties about what I think of things. Meekness is a readiness to be shown. Just teach me the word of God. Teach it to me. Meekness is, 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 is the childlike gladness that just simply says, show me, is this the way that I should go? Please help me. Is this, is this the way? Should I walk in this? The simple willingness to be taught and corrected and helped. Receive. With meekness, the engrafted word. Why? Because that is the thing that is able to save your soul. Not the way that I think about something. Not my interpretation of something. But my spirit inside that simply says, I need the word of God to teach me and show me. Is this the way that I should walk? Psalm 119.66 says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge. For I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. The psalmist says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Why? For I have believed, because I have believed thy commandments. The word of God is what 
teaches judgment and knowledge. Knowledge is knowing, certainly. But judgment goes along with discernment. Like you can know something, right? You can know something to be true. But judgment says, hey, I recognize this. I recognize what's going on. And so I make a decision that I'm going to go this way. And I'm not going to go there. Just having knowledge doesn't really fix the issue. It's like the one who sees his face in a glass in a mirror. And he sees what manner of man he is. He sees that all the bedhead and everything else, man, you look terrible. And he goes his way, forgetting what manner of man he was. He's deceiving himself. The word of God gives knowledge, shows us what we are. But it can also teach us good judgment. The commandments of the Lord. And the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I went astray and I experienced the consequence of it. But now, I have kept thy word. It's simply this. It's a serious thing to question the authority of God's word in our life. You remember, I don't take the time to go over there, but you remember Miriam and Aaron who were questioning Moses' authority in the Old Testament. Well, God had already given his word. God had already made his feelings on the thing very clear. And when they questioned that, God judged them. Their actions were a reflection of what was in their heart. The opposite of meekness is pride and being stiff-necked and hard of heart. Meekness, in essence, is humbly yielding oneself to the Lord. And it is equally serious to ignore the word of God concerning our lives. We're living in a world with a do-your-own-thing kind of an attitude. Question this, question that. That can influence God's people if we're not careful. It'll always bring serious consequences later on in life. Meekness is an inexplicably spiritual quality. It's a fruit of the spirit. It is something that is learned. It's not something that's inherited. Because of our sin nature, it's not always easy to be meek. God said of Moses that he was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. But even Moses lost his temper when his spirit was provoked. But on the other hand, he also submitted himself to God and let him deal with matters. All of us need this quality developed in us as we yield to the spirit of God, and that's the key. We can have meekness to us because of the Spirit of God. The fruit of meekness is because of the root. The root is the Spirit. 
And the more control that he has, the more humility of heart is going to be displayed in our lives as well. It's critical as we deal with each other. It's critical as we deal with each other, but it's also critical when it comes to us yielding to the word of God in our own life. Amen? Let's ask the Lord to help us to yield to him even more. And when we do, we find rest for our soul. I read that today in a light that I'd never read it before. Jesus says, you come to me. You take my yoke upon you. You learn of me because I am meek and lowly. You do this and I'll give you the rest for your soul. I was encouraged by that. I was challenged by it, convicted by it. I need to learn more of this. But I think we all do. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for its instruction. And Lord, I pray that you would give us of your grace, Lord, to that divine enabling to yield. May you produce that Christ-likeness in us. And the result is peace. The result is rest as we humbly yield to the Lord. Help us to learn of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.